You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Since the church began with the ministry of Jesus Christ, there has never been a generation where the church has not faced opposition. And although I believe that we understand that the church is going to face opposition, I fear that there are many who do not understand the fierceness of that opposition. There are some verses in Scripture that, where God compares the Christian life to a race. And uh, he speaks of the discipline and the self-control of athletes that would compete in the Olympics. But when he made such a comparison, when he would talk about those things, and many times through Paul, he never did so to imply that the Christian life was a game. This is not a game. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 26, this is one of the times where Paul is comparing the Christian life to running a race. And he says this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He's saying, think about the temperance of a runner, of an Olympic runner. Think of how they practice and they train and they build themselves to be able to beat their opponents. And they do all of that for an incorruptible crown. Can I put it this way? They do all of that for a game. So how much more should Christians, how much more should the church be temperate and holy and righteous? Because the Christian life is not a game. This is a war. A war filled with battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Lord, I ask that you would bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. Use me, I pray. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, I appreciate sports. Uh, I loved playing sports in high school. I love a good game. I'm from Chicago. Uh, and I understand that uh, sports can overcome a city. And uh, I definitely can appreciate as well that's, that games can be used to illustrate a war. I was young during the 90s, but I do remember watching Michael Jordan and the Bulls. And I especially remember the 96 to 97 and the 97 to 98 series. And uh, especially that last that last season that Michael Jordan played for the Bulls against the Jazz, I could not stand the Jazz. And uh, Carl Malone was just scoring all the time, and John Stockton never went away. Uh, but the, the season that I really don't remember a lot about, and I wish I did, was the season that they won 72 regular season games. And this was the roster. So you had Michael Jordan, you had Ron Harper, you had Luke Longley, Dennis Rodman and Scottie Pippen. 
And I could only imagine being in high school basketball and knowing who the stiff competition was. And if you ever made it to the championship game, there was this really cool thing that would actually announce your name and people would cheer and they would say your number and everything. So I could only imagine in the NBA being in Chicago at the United Center and hearing those names. And all I'm saying is this, you would know who you were up against when you heard those names. You were up for some serious competition. But this, what we're talking about tonight, what we live every single day in living for Christ and in going forward with the gospel, this is not a game. This is much more serious than a game. We're not competing for a trophy. We're not facing an opponent that only wants to score more points than we do. We're not facing an opponent, an opponent that we're going to shake hands with after. We're facing a very real devil who really all he cares about is leading this world to hell. He desires nothing more than to lead this world to hell. He would gladly take you to hell. Now, if you're saved and he can't do that, he's going to switch up his tactic and he'll bring hell to you. And he will try to make your life as miserable as possible. That is our opponent. That is our adversary. The opposition we face as Christians is as real as it gets. This opposition is not over the temporal, it's over the eternal. It's not for fun, it's for keeps. It's not until first blood, it's until last man standing. And what I really want to focus on tonight, using Acts chapter 13, where we're going to be, what I really want to bring out tonight is this warfare, this opposition, these battles that we are facing as a church and as Christians are not new. This is the way that it has always been. This is the way it always will be until Jesus comes again. Acts chapter 13, verse 5, and I'm going to give you just a little bit to get there. And I'll read in verse 5 to begin with. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. We know him also as John Mark. And when they had gone through the aisle, remember they're in Cyprus here, we can see in, in uh, verse number 4. When they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, or Son of Jesus, which was, the deputy of the country, uh, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But, uh, but Illamus, the sorcerer, for so, uh, for so is his name by interpretation. So Luke isn't even going to call him uh, by his Jewish name. He's going to call him by the name that he prefers to go by, which is Elemus. For so is his name by interpretation. He withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed 
being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, Wherever there is likely to be great success for the gospel, you will find these two things, the open door and the opposing adversary. And I want to emphasize three considerations about this opposing adversary. And I want to preface this by saying, obviously these attacks come in many different shapes and sizes. We see that in, in Ephesians. It comes in the form of principalities or powers or rulers of the darkness of this world. But there's one pulling the strings. There's one behind it all, all the time. And that's the devil. And number one, what I want to point out is he is powerful. He is powerful. This power is manifest in his abilities. Where we see him working through the Egyptian magicians in Exodus. The Bible says that he can transform himself into an angel of light. We see in the book of Job that he's able to travel to and fro in the earth. He's not omnipresent, but he is able to travel to and fro in the earth. His power is manifest in his army. We know from his fall that he brought one-third of the angels in heaven with him. We know he is powerful by his aliases. He's called the destroyer. He's called the prince and power of the air. He's called a roaring lion. He's called the God of this world. But really, his power is manifest in the activity that he possesses in the minds of men. The effect, the influence that he has upon the minds of men is a manifestation of the devil's power. Bar-Jesus, or Elemis is what I'm going to call him, was a Jewish sorcerer. He was a magician, and magicians were common among the Jews. Think about 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22, when Paul says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Think of it this way, while the Greeks looked for what could be explained, the Jews looked for what could not be explained, and magic fit this pursuit. This isn't the first time that the church has met a sorcerer. Look in Acts chapter 8 verse 9, when uh, Philip, uh, I'm sorry, when Peter ran into Simon, also known as Simon Magus or Simon the Magician. This was common back then. These Jewish magicians would use their knowledge of, of chemistry or, or whatever it was, their magic tricks, to explain away Jesus Christ. Say, look, I can do signs as well, and since I can do signs, you don't have to listen to him. Now, there's no need to argue. When I was doing my studies, so, so many people were spending pages upon pages arguing over whether or not uh, Elemis' magic was real or fake. There's no reason or need to argue about that. Here's what we do know. Whether it was real or not, Satan used Elemis' sorcery to have a very real influence over the minds of those who knew him, and then Elemis in turn used that influence to make people believe that he was a prophet. Now Luke comes straight out and calls him a false prophet, but he made people believe that he was a prophet. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. We talked about how one of Satan's names in the Bible is the God of this world, little g, obviously. But that verse talking about that is 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and it talks about in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them. 
which believe not. You've seen it before. We've all seen it before. Satan has the power. He has such power over the mind that people can see the truth and think it false. Or he has such power over the mind that people can be presented with something completely and obviously false. And he can convince them that it's true. We've often spoken about how inconceivable it is, how incredible it is that people can be so blind to the truth. How can one look at the universe and all of its wonders, the heavens that declare the glory of God, how can they see all of that and believe that it just happened by chance and evolution? How can people be presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ and reject him? I'll tell you why. Because Satan is powerful and he is deadly accurate with his lies. As long as the mind is left open to those lies, he's going to keep shooting and he's going to keep hitting every time. There's only one thing that can protect the minds of men from being pierced by Satan's lies. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think back to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest, unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, it didn't take long for soldiers to learn that when you want to kill your enemy, you go for the head. You aim for the head. Now, I'm not just talking about psychologically. We've all heard about getting into your opponent's head or getting into your enemy's head. That's, that's a part of it. But I'm talking about physically here. That's why soldiers for millennia have worn something called a helmet. It's very important. You don't go into a battle without a helmet because you know if there's somewhere that your enemy is going to be pointing at, he's going to be pointing at the head. And doesn't the Bible say that we are supposed to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the devil? And what is the part that protects the mind? The helmet of what? The helmet of salvation. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. Without salvation, there's no protection against Satan's lies. This is not a game. Satan is a powerful enemy and he's aiming for the minds of men. And he knows, he knows the people who are wearing a helmet are much less vulnerable to his lies. So he is going to use his power. That is why he will do everything that he can. Let me put it this way. He will do everything that he may Yes, Satan has power, but he has no power that the, Holy, uh, that the Heavenly Father doesn't give to him. Yes, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, not can devour. He can, de he can devour everybody. But he's seeking whom he may devour. And the Bible tells us we should not be ignorant of his devices and different things that we can protect ourselves from him. And a big part of that is the helmet of salvation. And that's why Satan is going to do everything he can to stop the gospel from spreading. So if you're taking notes, number one, consideration about our enemy, about our adversary. Yes, he's powerful. We see that illustrated in Elemis and the influence that he had over people, even though he was a false prophet. But number two, that power is going to be focused in. It's going to be targeted in to stop the gospel. It appears that Elemis' sorcery and 
False prophecy held some sway over Sergius Paulus. This man was a, a Roman deputy. He would have answered straight to the Senate of Rome on this Isle of Cyprus. But Sergius Paulus, being a prudent man, or can we call him a, a thoughtful man, a careful man, a judicious man, a wise man, wanted to hear more of the word of God from Paul and Barnabas. And for Elymas, this was a problem. Financially speaking, if Sergius Paulus were to believe, Elymas would lose his job. Publicly speaking, if Sergius Paulus were to believe, it would make Elymas look bad. But spiritually speaking, if Sergius Paulus were to believe, Satan would lose a soul to destroy and lose a mind to deceive. So Elymas withstood them. This was bold. This was forward. This was in Paul and Barnabas' face. Withstood them. Seeking for one purpose. To turn away Sergius Paulus from the faith. The church's goal, whether it's our theme for the year or not, the church's goal is always go forward with the gospel. Satan's goal is always going to be stop it. We read earlier in Acts how that Sanhedrin said that it spread no further. Their goal is to spread it far and wide. We need to make sure it spreads no further. That is what, that is where our battle is pitched. This is not a game. This is war. I'm going somewhere with this. This is war where eternal souls hang in the balance. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Calvinist, it is hid to them that are lost. It, if our gospel be hid, the responsibility lies with us. And here's something to note. Just because we are one day guaranteed to win the war doesn't mean we can't lose a battle every now and then. Christian, think about this. When we lose our testimony, so to speak, at work, or we lose our temper in front of our lost coworkers, we may also have lost a battle over a soul. Because I have met many people that I have witnessed to who said, I will never become a Christian because I know a Christian. I know somebody who says that they are a Christian and this is what they do. This is what they've done to me. They go to church one day and then they act completely different the other day. And because they have no testimony, they have lost a battle over a soul. When we lose an opportunity, if that's how we want to say it, to share the gospel with somebody, when the Holy Spirit tells us, go witness to that person. Go give that person a track. Go tell them about, about Jesus. When we say no, when we quote-unquote, lose that opportunity, that could also be a battle lost over a soul. Who's to say they will ever have another person to approach them? We are commanded to let our light shine before men. So when we choose, rather, to hide that light under a bushel, we're letting the devil win. And this is not a game. When you lose a game, you can say a lot of things that help you sleep at night. When I lost some games in high school, I wanted to be able to tell myself, well, our team left it all on the court. Or we did our best and our best just wasn't good enough. Or you could say, well, there's always next game or there's always next year. I'm a Cubs fan, trust me, I know. 
You say that to yourself all the time, but when we lose our battles for the gospel, we will answer for it to God someday. Ezekiel, the Bible says, your, their blood I will require at your hand. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 and 12 says this, If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth the soul, doth he not know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? Paul and Barnabas knew this. They were going out of their way to share the gospel to whoever would listen. I encourage you to look up the map of Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey and how they go from Antioch and Syria on that eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea and they come down to that coastal uh, area of, um, of that Mediterranean Sea and then they sail across to Cyprus and then they go across the isle and that's where they meet here with, with Sergius Paulus and with Elymas and then they go up to the mainland and they go into uh, Pisidia and Galatia and then they come all the way back. The amount of miles that they traveled on foot over land and sea to go forward with the gospel and they did that because they knew it was their responsibility to go forward with it. Who else was going to go forward with it? It was left to the church. It was left to the Christian. It was only a matter of time before they were going to face opposition. In this particular instance, it came through Elemis. So what's the answer? Have a debate? Argue? Let's, let's get into an argument in public in front of Sergius Paulus. Let's get into a fist fight. No. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul saw who was pulling the strings. It was the devil himself. And facing the devil is not a game. So look at how Saul or Paul, from what he is known here on out, Notice with me how he fights in verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And then you can read in verse 10 and 11 how Paul saw victory over this spiritual battle. I love how the Bible says that Elymas withstood. It uses that word. He withstood Paul and Barnabas. And then Paul, when he's writing in Ephesians chapter 6, he says this. Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Oh, we are living in an evil day. And I'm hearing preachers and Christians saying, we're facing opposition that we've never faced before. It's unprecedented that the government would tell churches that they can't meet. Churches are being fined for meeting. Our religious freedoms are being infringed. Here's my question. Are we surprised? Are we surprised? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I know I'm a, sar I'm, a, I'm a sarcastic man, but I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Are we surprised that a politically and economically driven government filled mostly with unsaved politicians who really only care about being reelected, are we surprised that they have not placed the spreading of the gospel as their priority? Are we surprised that the devil is seeking to use this pandemic and this worldwide panic as a means to accomplish his mission? Are we surprised at that? Are we surprised that technology is being invented right now? That technology is being patented right now that looks more and more and more like the mark of the beast? Are we surprised? 
Are we surprised that steps are being taken daily that seem to set the stage perfectly for Antichrist to come in and unify everybody and bring everyone all together? Read 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Antichrists are already here. Antichrists are already here. We cannot be surprised that we are facing opposition. These are the last days. And think about it. Even in a game, when time is running down, when time is ticking down in a game that is being played over a piece of metal, the competition is going to ramp up. How much more so is opposition going to grow in a war over eternal souls and the minds of mankind? But even though this may be the last days, and if you want to call it the last of the last days, and you very well could, the answer to this warfare, the weapons of our warfare, the answer to Satan's opposition, no matter what form it may take, has always been the same. God, Satan's fighting. What do we do? Fight back. God, Satan is withstanding us. Withstand him. Not in your own strength, but be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Yes, the devil is powerful, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, it's his mission to stop the gospel from spreading. But if God be for us, who could be against us? Well, the devil could be against us and all of his demons could be against us. And what that verse is saying is when God is on your side, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's against us. The truth is, we're nothing. We're nobody. We are sinners saved by grace at best. But when we stand through faith in God, when we fight through prayer to God, when we resist the devil through the wisdom of God's word, through the power of his Holy Spirit, can I put it this way? When we let God fight the battle, he wins. And when God wins, the gospel goes forward. And when the gospel goes forward, people get saved. No matter what the opposition may be. Look in verse 12. When Sergius Paulus, then the deputy, when he saw what was done, he believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. As time marches on, we are going to see more and more. We're going to see clearly that this is not a game. This is warfare. This is a battle that is raging amongst us. We are told to endure hardness as a good soldier. What was the message last Wednesday? Onward, Christian soldiers. And no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. We're not going to be surprised. We shouldn't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation. It's a promise. It is a conclusion. That has been set for years now. So when I look around and I see Christians asking, so you mean our, our own government may oppose us? Yes. You know what that word principality means in Ephesians chapter 6? Government. Yes, our government may oppose us. I appreciate the freedoms of our government and I've, I've explained that already. People look around and say, you mean my own family may oppose me in my Christian life? Yes. And if you are not willing to forsake father and mother, 
You can't be his disciple. Some people ask, you mean other religions may slander us? Yes. You mean the devil himself will seek to destroy us? Yes. At that point, the question is not what should we do. We, we know. We fight. We war and we fight and we war through the power of God and for his name and for his glory. When people are just up in arms, Lord, what do we do? We're under attack. We're facing opposition. And he, Jesus himself said, in the world ye shall suffer tribulation. Ye shall have tribulation. Lord, what do we do? He gives the answer in the second half of that verse. Here's what you do. Be of good cheer. What do you mean be of good cheer? Be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. What a savior we serve. Are we going to let some opposition cause us to forget that? Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.